0: See what happens? We just open the floor and let it flow. Today, it's whatever comes up with our radio roundtable. Let the chips fall where they may. Welcome to our radio roundtable with higher education consultant Dr. Michael Walker Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome once again to A More Perfect Union. I'm Peter Jay and With me, as always, our roundtable, and we're going to have a little fun this morning. When we were gathered last week, everyone thought, well, I don't know what I really have to talk about on this topic, and another scintillating hour rolled by, and everybody opined, waxed eloquent, and jumped right in and had a lot to say. That said, this week, I thought that I would introduce a variety of topics. They don't even know, but that said, we're going to have the following, a random array a variety if you will a medley pastiche yes and even a melange and multiplicity if you will all of and that, I say that it's up-
1: 8 a.m also we are barely <laughs> awake so right, if we yes. are not coherent we do not know the topics and it's 8 a.m um so go ahead <laughs> And they're
0: and they're all blinded in soundproof boots and can't hear each other no <laughs> That said, um, it's a discussion that I will throw to the floor. Um, and it, it's about a cross-section. I think also the, the masthead over this thing that's interesting is, you know, it's a, an observation made by, by Lenin, and that is that there are seemingly decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. Uh, I think in the past year and a half, we have seen week after week after week where it appears that decades happen. Um, And that said, uh, we are certainly living in a time of great change. One of the things I thought that we would uh, launch into right off the bat is uh, a lot of this that we are experiencing has seen an overlay uh, of societal change through social media. In 1918, when the flu pandemic was raging away, there was really no social media, there was print. Uh, radio was barely there as an experiment, and social media was really word of mouth. Today, we have everyone empowered to speak to the entire world. And there was, a, there was an illustration uh, back in, believe it or not, 1880, in what was then uh, Punch magazine, a humorist magazine of the day. And it showed one person sort of bellowing into a brand new telephonic device, And that telephonic device was wired to all of the different cities, which were mapped behind him, and crowds gathered around each receiver. So he was talking about social media in 1880 in any form that he knew it. So it begs the question, under the First Amendment rights, if everybody's allowed to say anything they want, what are the consequences? But more importantly, what is the role of Facebook, Twitter, et al., in policing those comments. You know, most recently, you know, Joe Biden accused Facebook of being complicit in the deaths of, you know, people online. And he walked it back a little bit. But I thought that the original comment wasn't so far off in that when you consider the legal implications of complicity accomplices, you know, witting, unwitting or otherwise, it begs the question of what responsibility do the social media outlets have to see to it? that free speech remains free, but at the same time, you know, nobody can yell fire in the theater. How do we keep people from committing harm?
1: Let me jump in a second, Pete, before we get to this topic, which is really important. And as a public health, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as an epidemiologist, I, I'm always thinking about how misinformation is spread through networks and how it made it much easier, but I do. Can I give us a moment to start with the positives, which is during COVID people were asked to stay home to separate from family, loved ones. I haven't seen my parents in almost two years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually Facebook and social media has allowed us to stay in touch in a way that, you know, not being used to share information, just photos of the kids and the grandkids and Mm -hmm, seeing mm -hmm. my friends in Greece, like not being able, I typically go every summer, not being able to go two summers. It has been nice to see the cousins and, uh, you know, see what they're doing. Sometimes I'm very jealous they're by the beach, you know, while I'm in mm-hmm. rainy, rainy Brookline. So there is kind of the the original purpose, I think, of places like Facebook to allow for connectedness, um, mm-hmm. is important to remember. And at a time when COVID did force us to be disconnected and physically apart, the same platforms that are causing all the havoc that we're going to talk about today have also allowed for some connectedness. And social isolation is is a public health crisis itself. Mm-hmm. So. Let's put that aside, but I don't I want us to not forget that there are purposes like we don't want to shut down forms of communication when those have allowed people to stay connected um, during times like this when we can't be physically together. But you know to your point, I do think that social media has allowed so much misinformation um, and it is terrifying. It is terrifying to see people who you think would know better believe, you know, I'm getting you know aunts and cousins and people sending me messages, being like, "Have you seen this video that is you know going viral? What do you think?" And it's and then I'll have to go back and say, you know, this is just not true. And mm. you know, and they're, and they're coming to me because they know I'm an epidemiologist. They want to believe in science, but me. You are the trusted are,
0: source because you. I'm one of know. their trusted
1: sources, but they're checking right. in with me and. It's interesting mm-hmm. because those videos never come into my feeds. You know, the algorithms, there's no way I would come naturally upon these videos. Uh, and when I see them, I'm like, oh my gosh, this misinformation is misleading people that I think are very, you know, knowledgeable. So mm-hmm. um, it's scary. It is scary.
0: I know. And in Facebook's defense, when Joe Biden was talking about the fact that they were complicit in people's debts. You know, Facebook, I think, rightly responded with, you know, there are these millions of accounts that we've basically deleted uh, and that, in fact, they do have a very active internal group that is doing their best to remove the most outlandish of statements. And so here we have, as you point out, a tool. Let's look at it for what it is, a tool. And, you know, tools can be used for peace. Tools can be used for war whether that peace or war is information or physical or whatever. And so put the tools in the hand of man and what you have is intent driving the tool either towards good or towards evil. Uh, of course. And it doesn't
1: word. mean they don't have a responsibility to ensure right. to, you know, accountability to oversight. You know, they have that responsibility. So I'm not completely right. ignoring that.
0: And that gets <laughs> us to the point of, you know, managing that oversight is, you know, it's an Occam's razor problem. There's a lot of complexity to it and and perhaps even the occasional unintended consequence where they're thinking, you know, um, we need to rein all this in because it's, well, quite frankly, you know, if you're sitting there as a social media outlet, you have to be asking yourself, is this bad for us uh, as an organization? And- no,
2: I, I want to chime in from... A legal perspective, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, because I I can tell you. um, I remember when this uh, internet and chat rooms and forums, online forums, began Mm -hmm. to develop. And um, I often wondered you know, when you have the print media Mm -hmm. and a newspaper publishes in its newspaper an article or a letter or something. Uh, They bear responsibility for the truth and accuracy in what they publish in their paper.
0: That's
2: uh, a tradition, yes. Yeah, well, we took a different approach when it came to online platforms. And uh, uh, the federal government decided that uh, we were not going to hold these platforms Mm -hmm. responsible for the content that was uh, laid out on their pages for lack of a better term. You're right, and, you rightly used uh, the term
0: platform because platform uh, makes the social media uh, organization's role more antiseptic. In other words, platform is a neutral word. It says, right. well, it's what we're talking about. It's the tool.
2: Right, and I, I, you know, I view a newspaper uh, as a platform and the editors of that paper had a responsibility to make sure that what was on there was truthful and accurate. And if they weren't and they were irresponsible or they were negligent, they could be uh, subject to a lawsuit for libel. The Facebook and the other platforms that are out there have no legal responsibility or Mm -hmm. legal liability for uh, mistruths, uh, inaccurate information, lies, uh, anything of that sort, because they are just viewed as the entity that, Provided the space, but it's actually the person who provided the content that is responsible for whatever misinformation is in there. So it's a yeah, different yeah. approach <laughs> to the to the problem. And and you know, as I've seen it grow over the years, I've seen that uh, there's a lot of irresponsible information out there. And you know, do you know what it's like to sue uh, somebody who's sitting in their parents' basement? Uh, with no job no uh, you know no way to uh, mm. no way to uh, handle any financial or legal responsibility uh, pay money a judgment for saying something uh, libelous uh, so it we've lost that ability to really police the information that's out there through the traditional methods that are available and you you know I've heard talk, uh, of, you know, trying to strip these platforms of their legal protection, which I'm not sure is a good idea either. But, uh, you know, certainly has led to some conversations. Well, how do we police all this activity? And uh, mm-hmm. is Facebook going to police itself? Uh, you know, those are conversations that we're uh, engaging in. But, it you know, you go back to the roots of how we set it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the road we paved and uh, we better be ready to drive on it.
0: There are a couple of points maybe that are appropriate here because, you know, as always in these discussions, uh, I'm in search of a solution and certainly hopefully a solution that's just not simple, cheap and wrong. That said, to your point about newspapers and particularly about newspapers, the fourth estate, uh, newspapers are called news papers, even though there are such things as opinion papers. If you think about it, the newspaper always had what was prominently featured as the op ed section and the op-ed section opinion and editorial was set apart from news which could be a far more open discussion of things that were not necessarily factual but even the op-ed section in the newspaper wasn't so far off base that you know it they spread just you know unmitigated lies now maybe one of the things to look at is whether or not Postings on Facebook might somehow, instead of it being just on or off, you know, your statement is allowed to either stand or be forever banished by deletion. Is there a middle ground where statements can be flagged as op-ed and not necessarily truthful, but just simply one person's considered or not considered opinion?
1: I would say it's probably the opposite. We assume that everything is an op ed on you know Facebook and then flagging well? what is kind of news that is verified news like a you know Twitter has that verification blue check mark mm-hmm. for for people who you can sort of trust. I don't know if that's it's been you know i I don't know if that's how I would call it, but there's something verified like right. verified that it's based on a news source that is corroborated information kind of you know, in a, in a brighter color that you, you know, basically mm-hmm. saying this is true so that everything else, everything else is assumed to be op-ed or, you know, our opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, that said, in how, how could we make that more prominent? How do we embiggen that? So that way it is, you know, throbbing on the screen that the the good stuff, the newsy stuff, the verified stuff is truly verified because even though you're right. The vast bulk of what's on social media really should fall under op ed, but people don't read it that way. You know, thanks to the Dunning Kroger effect, more and more people just suck it it up as the truth.
2: They may not read it that way, but the fact remains that's Mm. what they read, that's what their source of news is today. And uh, we've created this whole new way of uh, receiving information uh, and really have not controlled. Um, adequately in in my estimation, how mm-hmm. we can filter the good from the bad, and what we 're seeing in the uh, in the meantime is we 're seeing a newspaper industry that is absolutely getting crushed mm-hmm. because they don 't have an economic model for moving forward i mean you know most people uh you know look at local news these days uh, i mean when I was growing up um, in this area, um, you had the Milford Daily News mm-hmm. and you had the One Socket Call, and
0: mm-hmm. they were
2: both competing for uh, you know houses and people. Everybody got that paper delivered to their home, and that mm-hmm. was a filtered source of information for the good because you know they had reporters covering covering every local meeting that took place be it a board of selectmen be it a uh, school committee be it a planning board there were people covering all these events and the Milford Daily News was competing with the One Socket Call to who mm. could get the better <laughs> coverage who could sell more subscriptions in the community that's all gone mm. and what we're left with is an online platform that has Individuals, companies, everybody competing for your attention uh, to sell ad space on the right-hand side of your uh, internet page. And it's led to a real wild, wild west of, of information out there. I will share with you one of the things that the um, legislature did last session was to form a commission mm-hmm. to study the future of uh, the news media. And, uh, you know, we recognize it as the fourth estate, as you eloquently stated so early on in this talk. But we see the danger of losing the fourth branch of government. Mm. And, uh, you know, we need to we need to reckon with that because you can't just have uh, this wild, wild west out there without without running into danger.
0: The obviously this has really come to the fore and Dr. Mike, how are you this morning?
3: You know, I'm enjoying this conversation, and thank you. I'm doing wonderful this morning. If you allow me, let me say that I think that we have outstripped our ability to educate our citizens mm. to discern what is truth, what is fiction, what is editorializing, what is hyperbolic, and and with all admiration for, I think, what our legislature Jeff is trying to do. We may be narrowing the question way too much. I'm not sure that the question is what's happening to the news media Mm -hmm. as much as it is a systemic issue in terms of what are we doing with the idea of freedom of speech and inside of freedom of speech, the truth uh, because the news media is only part of it. We can't stop social media people expressing their opinions. But the question is, are we educating them? And I'm not saying that, again, just to narrow it into a responsibility of educators at all levels. Right. But are we as a society, because I think this is a global problem. I don't think this is just something that's, that's here uh, in the United States. I think this is a global problem. And the question becomes, Are we helping our citizens to be able to discern between truth, fiction, hyperbolic, and just fun, you know, sort of jesting, if you will? And I think therein lies the issue because the news media, you're right, Jeff, used to have filters that would last the normal news cycle. In other words, if I went to a school committee meeting in Franklin, that story would not finish its cycle in terms of getting in front of the public. For at least, what, eight hours? Because you had to go back, write the story. Then there was someone who was editing the story. Then there was someone who was writing the headline. Then they had Mm -hmm. to line a type. Uh, Or uh, even in the higher technology area, then they had to put it in and uh, digitally. Um, And then finally, when it got into, just before it got into print, there was a final review by the line editor. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that particular story got massaged numbers of times. Now it's instantaneous. I go to the Franklin uh, school committee meeting. I am reporting as an individual citizen live in real time. And I'm either texting or I'm using Facebook live or I'm putting my opinions up on Twitter instantly. And the reader now, whoever is one of my followers or on Facebook, has to discern immediately is what Michael is saying about this meeting accurate, true, his personal opinion, or is it following the rules of journalism, which I learned back in junior high school, and it does then follow those protocols, which I think fell upon and still fall upon the responsible media
0: it begs the question of you know the we were talking earlier about tools and the tools can be both good and bad and sometimes mm-hmm. that is inadvertent that is when we all saw what happened to george floyd that was real time it was literally as unfiltered as it gets here's the footage it's happening it's happening right now we don't right. even know what what the outcome's going to be and boom there's the outcome the man died right in front of america and what that did was it Really, you know, sparked a serious movement, a serious discussion, uh, and brought in others like Breonna Taylor and so on. Uh, all of that, I think, was a, a great outcome of that inadvertent spontaneity. At the same time, and that separates out news. That separates out fact from mm-hmm. from you know the hyperbole that you mentioned, and and the fact that hyperbole can be pumped out spontaneously. I mean. Even going I think all one the way the, back to Samuel Gompers, you know, back in the beginning of, yeah. of newsprint, there was opinion rolling around inside of news as well, even as
3: far back as then. And I think one of the things, too, about the George Floyd incident was that you saw it in real time and there was no commentary. Right. She was just taping. She was, was just filming. Was. That's right. She was just broadcasting live. It is what it is. And I think that's one of the other areas that maybe, as you say, uh, Pete, for the good, because there are times when someone can just hold up a camera and here it is. Mm-hmm. It's live. No commentary. And then there are other times, too, when even the news media does this. You'll see the event. And they'll take it and then they'll put an editorial or they'll put a comment in and then they'll show you the event and then it's more commentary back again. So they're trying to build an opinion or impression Mm -hmm. in front of the uh, witness as they are also seeing it in real time.
0: Exactly. One of the, you know, sort of switching gears here a little bit. The question I have is what's going on between the notion of leadership and followership? It's difficult to generate clear followership when the leadership is all over the place. Witness only in these recent days that you have people like Ron DeSantis claiming that you can't you know ships can't demand vaccination people you know the whole thing with the c d c trying to make a course correction, everybody damning them for it, um, and now people are burning masks um, in protest, and conversely. Uh, other Republicans are shifting gears. Recently, uh, Kay Ivey talking about it's the unvaccinated that are letting us down. The new cases in COVID are because of unvaccinated folks. Almost 100% of the new hospitalizations are with unvaccinated folks. Folks supposed to have common sense. It's time for, to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down. Even Mitch McConnell has weighed in
3: and said, look, you got to get vaccinated people. The issue that, for example, Kay is experiencing is that she is now being criticized by the left and the right in Alabama. Interesting. Uh, The reason I say that is because I happen to be here in Alabama uh, for a business meeting. And it's interesting that the left is criticizing her because Oh, look what she's done. She has now invoked the name of Trump, saying that it was Trump's vaccine and that people ought to follow, uh, you know, his leadership and get vaccinated and you're letting us down. And I, as a commentator, have to admit her point is well taken. There's, there's nothing that's false about that. Trump was the one who mm-hmm. was able to spearhead and to spark Uh, that research getting done, getting done or coming to fruition, because the research had been going on for 12 years prior to Trump.
0: Well, the fact that Operation Warp Speed was, in fact, a Trump initiative, a government initiative that Trump said, yes, we should do that. And he really he really put he pushed all of his chips onto the table over that and wanted it to happen before the election. So he was highly motivated. But once it didn't make it to election day and it didn't help him anymore he abandoned it
3: well and and, and that's unfortunate because i think K. ivy's point is that even though he may have publicly uh and vocally abandoned it it still came within the context of his administration don't Absolutely. forget it was december of his final few days in office when we started to line up folks to say, okay, let's get the vaccine. And there were a number of folks in December who started to get it and then Mm -hmm. January. So uh, I think Kay Ivey's point is well taken. Now, that's how she's getting criticized from the left, from the right here in Alabama. She's getting criticized because, oh, look, she's now trying to take away our freedom. Uh, She's Mm -hmm. saying that we're no good people, uh, just like those Dems. Uh, they are criticizing us without knowing us. And there are still some some skepticism that we ought to have about the vaccine. But she's actually just trying to, and here's the way a conversation that I had went, uh, went with one of the Alabama legislative members. You do realize that she gets that report every day of how many people have died from the coronavirus. Do you realize too that she is being asked to write letters to those families every single day. And if I'm governor, that's a pretty heavy weight Mm -hmm. that I have to have. And Mm -hmm. sure enough, I'm going to say something. If I'm a responsible leader, I'm going to say something to my people that I am leading singing, Hey, you know what folks, we really need to start helping one another here. Um, And I'd love to hear from, uh, uh, from Jeff and Natalia, it, you know, because I think the same thing is true uh, in Massachusetts, where we all live. Uh, you know, I think Charlie Baker has a responsibility to take a look at these communities and going, you know what? I I, I heard him the other day talk about Provincetown uh, and the fact that they have every right to try to protect themselves down there. And he was applauding and supporting it. I think that's a wonderful position for a governor uh, to take in that particular instance trying to figure
2: out how we got from you reporting on the school committee uh, to the, <laughs> to KIV down in Alabama. But let me see if I can, <laughs> I can sort it out, uh, you know. By airplane, by airplane. <laughs> I do want to go back to that initial comment you said, because you're reporting from a school committee meeting as an individual citizen, and that information is getting out there. And you bear no responsibility legal responsibility for the accuracy or inaccuracy of that information. And 10 or 15 years ago, there would have been a newspaper reporter sitting right at your side, taking notes and getting ready to record for that particular program. That does not exist today. The latest study that I uh, have seen on this issue is that 1,800 local newspapers have gone out of business, and uh, you know it's just just incredible that we don't have this coverage, which leads to you know somewhat of the chaos that we find ourselves in with transmission of information. And you know I don't know Kay Ivy from a hole in the wall, but uh, I can see why. Uh, you know, she's getting exposed immediately from commentary uh, on all sides of the spectrum because there's no filter to take all of that information and, and put it into a single source. She can get attacked from every news uh, news outlet, uh, Facebook page, uh, comment uh, sections on under papers. It's incredible the range of options that are available. To, to people uh, to, to attack, and it reminds me of the the famous LBJ line you know any jackass can knock down a bond, but it takes a good carpenter to build one, and you've got all these jackasses throwing out information, knocking people down, and you know it's difficult to recover from that that's, that's my two cents
0: it's interesting when you take a look at the, the the phrase we all know is speaking truth to power and the risk that comes with that for politicians there is the risk of st- of speaking truth to people
1: yeah i was gonna add i mean and, and ask you jeff you know you've been in politics for a very long time you know do you speak differently like you were in school committee when there weren't people live tweeting and does like that self-censorship i i mean I, i'll give you an example i found myself um, i when i was campaigning i spoke what i believed completely always, all the time, I never self-censored. I used to do something called Ask Me Anything, which was lunch times. Any citizen could show up, ask me any question they cared about. And it was great, it was a great way to connect. Once I, somebody asked me something about vaccines, you know, and I spoke as a parent, as an epidemiologist, but if you think about my campaign, I think vaccines had never come up. It, this was pre-COVID vaccine. So mm-hmm. 99% of the things I had said publicly had never touched on vaccines. In this one of Ask Me Anything, literally one-on-one with someone, I showed my position, which is, yes, I vaccinate my kids. Suddenly it went viral or, you know, to media and I got all these letters and people and people on social media were like, she's, you know, she's going to stop us from getting our kids vaccinated. It was so interesting that my entire campaign had never talked about vaccines and this one one one-on-one interaction became... And then my campaign was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And I said, you know, I'm a public health expert. You know, people should know what my stance is on vaccines. I'm not embarrassed about my stance. It's not central to my campaign because at the time that wasn't the main conversation. But I was so surprised that that became um, such a big as if my campaign had been all about vaccines. And that distortion of how much time you spend on something and one sentence mm. that you might say is taken and becomes kind of who you are. Uh, I don't know, Jeff, if, if you feel that. And I was wondering if in the future, if I were to run again or if I were to be more political, if I, if I would self-censor more. And I don't want that. I think we should be able to have these frank conversations as we're having on this radio show and change our minds. The problem with social media, when they amplify your one position, is if you change your mind even three minutes later and say, actually, you know, maybe I misspoke. And that yeah, is completely a more considered
2: it. view, right?
1: Yeah, you're so
2: I do not find myself engaged in any self-censorship any more today than when I first started in this line of work. I just do understand that today there are more opportunities for people to Pick apart and parse my words. Uh, my God, uh, you know these these shows that we do. Uh, I'm sure I've uttered phrases that uh, send chills up people's spines. Um, but uh, I always say um, I don't want to be conduit for the lazy. I want to be someone. Uh, if I say something and somebody wants to repeat it, I want them to repeat it in the context in which it was said. And I want them to understand me and know me and uh, before they go out and do that. Now, look at I'm not naive enough to know that pe- uh, it, that, that people don't do that. Uh, you know, people will take uh, the three words that you uttered in a fifteen minute speech. that
0: sound and twist
2: it and turn it all over the place. that That has been going on for centuries. Uh, it, it happened you know, uh, when, when people would follow people with uh, video cameras and uh, take snippets and, and edit that 15-minute speech down to 15 seconds, and uh, all of a sudden you were, uh, you know, you were toast. But I think uh, what we have to do as politicians is continue to, you know, spread our message, keep it in context, remind people uh, of the context and uh, just hope that people will latch on. I think, truthfully, I think people are growing tired of the sound bites, and, uh, you know, knocking people down based on a few carelessly chosen words, uh, but, you know, I'm not about to filter and stop speaking my mind uh, because I know these trolls are out there. Uh, I call them for what they are. They're trolls, Mm. they're insignificant, they're Mm. irrelevant, and they do nothing to build uh, what we are trying to do here. It goes back to that LBJ phrase, any jackass can knock down a barn, but it takes a good carpenter to build one. And I want to be a carpenter, not a jackass.
3: And let me ask uh, uh, the group this question, because I know in my upbringing, the phrase, as Pete put it earlier, was speak truth to power. Uh, I'm going to this Saturday, as a matter of fact, for the first time, I'm doing a commencement speech at one of the universities in Alabama. And I'm going to propose that we now are in the era where before you speak truth to power, the first thing you have to do is speak truth to yourself. Mm. You have to be a person of truth. You have to be able to discern not only Honesty, but honest opinions inside of yourself. And which brings us to Nantalia's point, which is that sometimes on a moment of reflection, you have to admit to yourself, you know, that wasn't accurate, or I didn't think that through. And that's where it starts. And I think our next numbers of generations have to be able to first internally. Uh, And I wouldn't call it censorship, but you've got to be internally have the ability to be able to recognize when you are speaking your truth that you have been able to discern uh, based on knowledge, based on some skills that you may have, or based on some competencies that you may have. Uh, And then once you do that with utmost confidence, you can then be able to speak to others.
0: There's a great quote I can pass to you um, that sort of fits your commencement speech. uh, And it was spoken by Sai Baba. It says, when you speak, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And does it improve upon the silence?
3: I like that. Uh, And would you send that to me, Pete, and edit that 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 I asked for you?
0: No, I I can definitely do that. Uh, but again, getting back to what Natalia was pointing out, having an honest discussion about vaccination, you know, Tdap shots, hello, you know, it's, it's part of daily life. Uh, we are a better society for all that has happened uh, in the medical community with respect to protecting us. But it, it gets back to our sort of central point. How, when, where, and how did and what was an informative and innocent discussion, a comment Become a third rail issue, touch it and die that you know how it is that what you take for granted as an honest statement suddenly gets hyperbolically blown out of proportion and and by the way, uh, I think that there is a derivative discussion to be had here, and the derivative discussion is that all of the commentary on social media becomes news in itself that is the regular media sometimes picks up on trends and then ends up amplifying the trends and and further exacerbating the whole issue of unfounded what is you know gossip opinion and just you know wildcarding so so how do we tamp some of that down now interestingly enough last night uh, on CNN which you know sometimes the news makes the news and last night was a good example of that with with Chris Cuomo he brought on a restaurateur named Tony Roman, who, as he pointed out, was clearly the Italian stereotype. Yeah, we got a restaurant here, and you know, we we don't allow to, we don't allow to vaccinate it in. I think about that. He actually said that it was his restaurant's policy that if you were vaccinated, vaccinated, you were not allowed in his restaurant. Was that a joke? N- n- well, Cuomo was asking him if it was a joke. He said, no, it's all about freedom.
1: Okay, so let's. <laughs> this is the super spreader restaurant. That's uh-huh, what we call uh-huh,
0: it. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and and uh, Cuomo tried desperately to reason with him. Well, if it's about freedom, why are the vaccinated who thought of that freely not being allowed in? And he kept on with this. Well, and, and no matter how Cuomo tried to position this guy, to, to recant his testimony. He just wasn't having it. And it all how degenerated. Does he, how does
2: he police this activity? Well, well, there you go. I mean, um, excuse me. Have you been vaccinated? Uh, is, or is there a sign at the door of this restaurant? Well, I, exactly, I'm, I am perplexed a sign at the door, sitting <laughs> here <laughs> listening to this. Right.
0: Uh, exactly. We're all sitting here incredulous going,
3: what?
0: And <laughs> unfortunately, you know This, this really it, happened. This discussion really happened.
3: But you know what? As long as he has a sign at his door that says that now, again, this is going to sound weird. And you put this in historical context and you're going to say, Michael, how can you as a black man be saying this? If he puts a sign at his door that says vaccinated or not welcome. Okay. I'm not going into your restaurant. And in this particular instance, you've done me a favor because you helped me to protect myself from you. And so the question becomes that as a restaurant owner, does he have the freedom to discriminate now, which is more to your point, Jeff, Mm. against people who have made a decision? And if he is publicly expressing his opinion that I don't want you in my restaurant, Okay, and if I don't have to, when I walk into his restaurant, say, "Oh, you know what? I'm vaccinated, and I'm now protesting your decision to discriminate against us." Well, in uh, some ways, (laughs) given the reality of the health issue here, he's actually helped me. I'm just going to walk on by your place. Um, He has a sign. I just want to. I just want to
2: bring this back. I looked it up on the internet, Mm -hmm. and his restaurant, uh, Basilico's Pasta y Vino, in Huntington Beach, California, has a sign at the front door. It says, notice, in in red, proof of being unvaccinated required, and it says, we have zero tolerance for anti-American stupidity. Thank you for, uh, I can't read the last word, but there is actually a sign. Out in front of this Huntington Beach, oh. California oh. restaurant. So, so he, Michael, and, so he managed to put Thank freedom.
0: So he managed to put freedom and zero tolerance in the same place. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Walk on by. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Wonderful. No, I have, a, I have a better, Doctor Mike. I have a far better idea. A whole bunch of T-shirts that say "I am vaccinated," and they all sit in a row at the lunch counter. History repeats itself. <laughs> History yeah. repeats itself.
3: Oh, you know, another goodness. movement. Begins. And again, you know, it gets back to our point earlier. Is is this humor? Is this real? Well, that is, was
0: what Cuomo Cuomo was asking. Are you serious? Was his first question.
1: But we are now giving this person now, Jeff, you you named the restaurant. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's all the all of us who think what he's doing is a little um off the know, rails off the rails you know emailing him texting him what are you doing you know like we this is again this kind of crowd mentality i mean uh, that we're creating of like this person is doing something that we all disagree with and yet we're on a radio show talking about him and ganging up on kind of this this decision and and Partly, maybe we should just ignore it and move on, as Michael said. Just like, don't go in there. Don't, you know. But but that's what I I mean. It's the train. Unfortunately, it becomes news. Yeah, exactly. It becomes newsworthy because you're like, oh my god, you know. It becomes interpersonal and, and exciting and, and how could he be doing that? And I'm Googling him too as we're talking and it's like, what am I doing with my time? It's one restaurant out of how many millions of restaurants? Like, let it be. So I'm How much dining I'm not do you do on
2: Huntington anything. Beach, Natalia? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Well, like, you know, I am going to California, uh, not but not there.
3: <laughs> but not there, yes. I am absolutely torn because when I do encounter events or a restaurant, I'm actually with my mask on and I must admit that I am now wearing my mask virtually all the time, uh, no matter what the situation. Yeah, uh, And it seems to me that we have come to that place where you have to personally find your sources of information, verify that your sources are accurate and truthful, and then personally act upon what those sources are putting in front of you. And here's why I say that, because this week, the CDC changed its advice for people who were vaccinated, saying that you should now wear a mask, even indoors, if you are vaccinated. And they had previously said, mm-hmm. well, if you were outdoors, you didn't have to have one, And indoors, if you were in a room full of other vaccinated people, it wasn't necessarily Science Uh, updates itself. But science has updated itself. And not only did it update itself, but I read the rationale. And I am in total understanding and agreement with why they made that change. See, nobody wants to read the second paragraph. They just want to look at the headline and say,
0: why did they do that? That's stupid. When it's not stupid, if they would really read the whole
3: thing. Exactly. So it's actually to help me to help others is why they put that rule out there. And I encourage our listeners to go and take a look at that ruling or that advice advisory, because you're absolutely right, Pete. It's the second paragraph that says that if you're vaccinated and you contract a virus, that the Delta variant, uh, you start to shed more Mm -hmm. of that uh, virus than you would have if you had contracted the previous one, even though you may be asymptomatic or... Not get very ill at all from the Delta, but the fact that you now become an individual super spreader compared to the previous virus Mm -hmm. is why we're telling you to help protect you and to protect others. Because now I'm protected to a large degree, but if I contract it, the implication is from the research they have now is that I can become an individual super spreader Mm. of the Delta variant. And who is it going to impact most? The unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. And there is a statistic out there that has absolutely shocked me, which is that 99.5% of those who are uh, dying from the Delta virus are the unvaccinated. Mm. Uh, That alone... Yeah. Would make me run out and say, "Hey, give me the shot, uh, hopefully prior before I contracted the, uh, that strain?"
0: We have a visualization issue as well. you know, the 99.5 percent, you know the numbers go roll by, and even a number that seems as simple as that, as dramatic as that, unfortunately is a number, and it doesn't get visualized. There are a lot of people out there who, if they saw the graphic, that is, if you saw a bar chart, with a teeny, teeny little line, flat line to the left and said, here's all the people who died from the vaccine. And the line is barely discernible. You know, it looks like a margin. And then right next to it, there's the big red box that just goes to the ceiling and shows you all of the people who have suffered from the coronavirus statistically. And even if it was a per capita chart, what you would see is it it would be extremely dramatic where you're looking at a skyscraper of a chart on one end and the ground on the other end, uh, in terms of, of the actual stats, uh, you know, where it's you know greater than 101, um, but people can't put that in their heads, just hearing the numbers. So how it is that we visually dramatize that to make it absorbable in a single frame, uh, a, a single concept is where we, cause people can't do the ratios that every, everything is equally important, equally damning, equally. Um, misunderstood.
1: And people, I think once you aggregate them to many, many people, the you lose the story. I think that what mm-hmm. has been most effective in convincing people is stories, stories of people who sadly have passed, uh, who anecdotes. Yeah. And it's hard for a epidemiologist to say that anecdotes move, but anecdotes seem to be moving people more than the 99.5% statistic. And and people who have shifted their positions, I think, are the most important voices right now. Those mm. who said, I didn't believe in being vaccinated, but then my sibling or my father or my neighbor uh, died from this um, horrible you know, mm. COVID, so, and, and now I'm getting vaccinated.
0: So even though it's a data point of one, it has to be a data point of the right one. And I think that's an opportunity to evangelize the better message. Uh, with the kind of drama that it needs to be able to stick, and I know that the news media are trying to do that by, you know, interviewing people, you know, who are struggling for life, interviewing people who've lost husbands and wives, and bringing that pathos to the screen because that's what it is. It's no longer a logical argument. Logos doesn't apply here. Only pathos applies here in terms of getting the story to
2: stick.
1: And speaking Odyssey's of stories, isn't the
2: Greek phrases, Natalia.
1: Yes, he's he's using them well. But speaking of stories, you know, I agree with Michael. I personally, I think it's important for us, for our audience, to I am wearing masks indoors now everywhere. I am not eating in restaurants indoors. I am eating outdoors mm-hmm. um, still. I uh, I canceled my trip to Greece to go visit my parents because of Delta, because my three kids are unvaccinated. And I am going to California To visit my sisters and their cousins. I got tested. I'm getting all the kids tested before we get on that plane out of a sense of responsibility for our other, you know, nobody has been exposed, but in order, and it's not required to get Mm -hmm. them tested for domestic, but I don't want to put anyone else at risk. They will be wearing masks during the flight. Um, we will eat right before. And hopefully, you know, the four-year-olds may have to sneak in a snack during the flight, but we'll try and do it as little as possible. So these are, you know, this is my personal story. And we, when we get to California, we will only be outdoors and only with the family. We will not go to restaurants. Mm. So, you know, it is, it is a hard time and many of us are making sacrifices. My twins are four years old. They haven't seen their grandparents since they were two. And yet we are just not going to go because- until they are vaccinated, I am not going to take them internationally. So sacrifices are real, they're real for everyone, but I'm privileged enough to not have lost someone. There mm. are so many people I know who have lost loved ones. And so this is still real. In
0: 1918, we have to remember that the the flu pandemic was two years in the making with multiple waves. and And that said, unfortunately, We have have become an instant society, an impatient society. Thanks to modern technologies, we get to enjoy instant gratification. Um, And whatever it is, whatever wish we need to address is oftentimes something that's at arm's length and we can do something right then and there. Here we have a pandemic that has been raging on now for a year and a half, still going and promising to easily get to the two-year mark, sadly in spite of the fact that we have the tools to combat it. And what we need is uh, patience, Uh, patience and understanding. And for people to realize, as Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. But the only way we get it to be over is if we all participate in bringing it to an end. And in fact, quite coincidentally, uh, that brings our program to an end. A program where we had nothing to say going in, (laughs) but I proved my point, didn't I, that here again, all we have to do is get together and let the sparks happen. See what happens? See what happens? <laughs> hey, we
2: were supposed to have multiple topics. and uh, I know, we, and we, jumped we banged into first... it out with just one.
0: I know, I know. We, st- we started with social media and kind of drifted to into topic two <laughs> underneath that, but I had one, two, three, four, five. I had six other ones on deck, by the way, just to let you know what the count was.
2: We're gonna do some more shows. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Anyway, for our perfect roundtable, our ever more perfect roundtable, for Jeff Roy, for Dr. Mike and Dr. Natalia, thank you for joining us today. We would like to go out with this.
4: There is one striking thing that distinguishes this pandemic from all previous ones in history. The speed with which humankind came up with a vaccine. But what science has given, politics seems to be taking away. Despite having ample supplies of the vaccine, America is stuck with roughly 60 percent of the adult population fully vaccinated, ensuring that the pandemic will linger, perhaps forever. Given the tools to end this tragedy, we are choosing to live with it. The results are damning. As of June, 86 percent of Democrats had received at least one dose, compared with just 52 percent of Republicans barely half of Republican House members report being vaccinated. Now, anti-vax sentiment is not just an American problem. Like the U.S., France has had high levels of anti-vax sentiment, but political leadership seems to be changing things there. President Emmanuel Macron recently announced that health workers would be required to get vaccinated and the unvaccinated would not be allowed to enter restaurants and cafes, go to theaters and cinemas, or take trains and planes. This new vaccine passport has drawn loud protests, but millions of French people have signed up for the vaccine since Macron announced these rules. President Biden needs to get tough. He should explain that while we cherish freedom in America, you do not have the right to do anything and everything when it endangers the lives of others or places burdens on them. Here are some things that you are forced to do, even in America. Go to school pay taxes, register for the draft if you are male, serve on a jury. There are also many things that you are not allowed to do that might be mistakenly seen as involving no one else. You may not buy or sell controlled substances, litter on public streets, make loud noise after certain hours, and so on. If you drive a car, you are required to get a license, buy insurance, wear a seat belt, obey street signs and speed limits, have the car inspected, and not drink alcohol before driving. If you want your children to go to a public school in America, they must be vaccinated. These are all mandates because seemingly private actions actually impose public costs. You should not have the right to spread disease and occupy a precious hospital bed. The Republican Party has indulged its crazies for too long, fanning the flames of falsehood and creating a miasma of misinformation. Even now, leading Republican governors like Ron DeSantis are pandering to their base by making it illegal to require proof of vaccination in Florida. Republicans say that they are for economic growth and against lockdowns, but it is the Republican Party and the conservative media by their actions and negligence that are endangering America's economy and far more importantly, the lives of its people.
0: I'm Peter J. and if you have an opinion, if you would like to share your thoughts with us, info at franklin.tv, that's info at franklin.tv. We would love to hear from you, especially if you don't agree with us, believe it or not. This is Franklin Public Radio.